0: Let's play a game of Impossible Riddles.
1: Okay, all right. I bet I'm going to lose.
0: You probably will. <laughs> Before recording, I removed two things from the small end table in my living room. What were they?
1: Yeah, that's a Bilbo question. <laughs> what do I got in my pocket? Um...
0: They're kind of weird things, is, is the hint. The first hint.
1: Uh, A Mylar blanket. Like a space blanket thing. Like the big foil looking one. Oh, like
0: in Star Trek?
1: (laughs) Yeah, like a little camping blanket.
0: No, that's insane.
1: Well, yeah, but you said it was weird.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay. One of them comes in a jar.
1: Mm, Pickled okra.
0: No, um, that item was Luxardo cherries that I just sometimes snack on because I'm a monster.
1: Wow, yeah, that's pretty weird.
0: The other item is a weed pen.
1: Oh, well, I almost guessed um a pipe.
0: That I would have given it to you.
1: Okay. Well, I was I was almost close. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was impossible riddles. <laughs> I mostly just wanted to use this voice.
1: Uh yeah, listeners, chime in let us know if you want to hear more impossible riddles. <laughs> Or if you never want to hear it again, that's fine.
0: (laughs) I can just die.
1: They can just do that voice (laughs) for other things.
0: This could just be my new voice. I I clearly I miss DMing. I think that's the problem.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you gotta you gotta get those voices out there
0: (laughs) somehow. Okay, what are you teaching me today?
1: Uh, Today I'm going to teach you about Cambodia. It's also called so i learned that this was like the khmer pronunciation of it or the native pronunciation of it is Kampuchea. in this time period they go through some renamings and one of those is campuchia and that comes from and it never occurred to me because i'd seen this word before and they just don't look that similar in english i guess they start with the same
0: it's close yeah
1: Yeah, it just didn't click in my brain, though, that they were that close. And so once I read that, I was like, oh, oh, okay, Kampuchea, Cambodia, like, all right. But that's what we're going to be learning about. And with a focus on the devastating conflict that they've gone through in their not that recent history anymore. But um, in the 20th century, centered around uh, the state of democratic Kampuchea and all the turmoil that went on there uh, for a while. They had a revolutionary Marxist Leninist state. Well, so they had some communism happening. They also had some very terrifying variants of it. Then we'll, we'll get into it basically. Uh, one thing I do want to add is that this is going to be very survey level. All right. Very uh, broad strokes. I think Americans and really most people outside of Southeast Asia are, you know, we're, we're, pretty ignorant regarding Cambodian history.
0: Yeah. I don't know anything. Uh, I no, I was going to say, is this the one that, uh, got, what's his name? Mad Noam Chomsky. But I think that was a different place.
1: Well, it does get him in trouble because one of the things he talks about at some point in his career is East Timor is the place you're thinking of. That's
0: what I was thinking of. Yeah.
1: But he drew a lot of distinctions and said, look at the press, they're all focused on the evils and the death and destruction happening in Cambodia because that's our enemy, but they're not focused on all the deaths that they're doing in East Timor. That was his argument, and then people were like, well, to me, bro, it sounds like you're denying all the bad shit that Cambodia was doing. So that got him in trouble. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, but you're right, you're right. Uh, we, we just, basically, we just don't know a whole lot Mainly, if you do know about Cambodia in, as an American or maybe just a Westerner in general, it's usually in relation to the Vietnam War. And so I found this an interesting topic to dive into. I had not, I didn't know that much about it. Really, the only figure that I knew going into this was there was a guy named Pol Pot.
0: Yeah, that's the only guy I've heard of, like, at all.
1: And that he was bad. Mm-hmm so that's all i got uh so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna try to start from scratch do a broad overview maybe it'll be a springboard for future dives into into because to- there's a lot going on so <laughs> uh it's also a tragic tale so you know keep up keep up your jokes i know a few <laughs> a few you know listeners or former listeners maybe do you know they're like they're gone now they're like they joke too much uh <laughs> but i think you should keep it up because otherwise it's just gonna be depressing so.
0: okay okay well you know if you made it past the goblin witch voice then you're good all the not fun people have left
1: yeah there we go now this is for the real ones <laughs> all right uh we are going to start the timeline just to give a little bit of a background on where cambodia is and everything we already said southeast asia going back to like ancient times you had the khmer empire which was centered on cambodia this is from i mean ancient times 802 to 1431 like a long time ago (laughs) not the feature of our show but just to mention it as like the backdrop it was this vast and sprawling mighty empire it was doing ancient empire stuff it was like growing and building shit and declining and falling into obscurity you know all that stuff
0: gotcha and listeners just so you don't feel bad i did just have to google where cambodia is it is between thailand and vietnam and south of laos so kind of like nestled in between all those south asian countries or southeast asian
1: and like really all of that was khmer empire stuff back in the day so they had Uh this kind of like ancient thing to look back on. It's like, man, remember when we were cool mm. we We're the Khmer empire? That's like a historical thing for them. Gotcha. All right. So then that kind of, you know, collapses or falls into obscurity really. And for a while, they're just the kingdom of Cambodia kind of hobbling along afterward. Uh, and they are increasingly dominated by those neighbors that you talked about in particular Vietnam and Thailand, what they called Siam back then and and so th- like each, each they're they're encroaching and and they're just like beating them in wars and stuff they're like on the downhill slide uh and it's in 1863 when their king the king of Cambodia a guy named Norodom uh decided to turn to some outside help someone to protect them from getting owned like that
0: so colonizers
1: so colonizers right now uh <laughs> we, let's let's welcome to the stage some friends of the show now, colonizers you just of the week <laughs> <laughs> now you called out you know their who their neighbors were and everything, so given that information, and this is kind of a quiz thing here, yeah. and stuff we've covered before, which country do you think they called on to come colonize them
0: so my guess is because france was so big in vietnam i bet they called on the british
1: ah no fuck but you were you you knew the fact so that's good the the reasoning wasn't there (laughs) though but it was it was france okay Um, so
0: they called on france well that seems shitty but okay
1: yeah uh (laughs) they're just like you you guys are already setting up here right (laughs) come on in bring us in uh so yeah napoleon the third second french empire makes them a french protectorate Great. Part of the second French colonial empire. And yeah, uh, this keeps the monarchy in power. Uh, it keeps, you know, them nominally independent from Vietnam and Thailand and everything. But the problem is they they're just a French puppet at this point.
0: Independent is in quotes. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Real authentic lunch meats. Um, <laughs> this time period is called the French protectorate. From eighteen sixty-three to nineteen
0: forty-seven. That is like the most twee possible way to describe colonization.
1: Oh, what is? So I've heard this word before, but like, what does it mean? Is it like gentle or like candy-coated, sugar-coated?
0: Zoe Deschanel. That is the definition of twee.
1: Um, an actress.
0: Cutesy and just like overly saccharine.
1: Okay, I got gotcha. you. All right. Yeah, that I can see that then. Okay, now I know how to say twee. <laughs> French protector, they're fully colonized. They were just used as a giant rice plantation, rubber plantation sort of thing. And even more so than neighboring Vietnam, they were deliberately kept from development. You know, it's, it's like open veins, that sort of stuff of like, we're going to build everything just for extraction. But even... I think beyond that is like they would bring in uh, Vietnamese people who had been educated in the Vietnamese colonial system, like part of that, like class of people to be colonial administrators and stuff. They would bring them in like from other countries like Vietnam and, and neighboring countries. And, and like those were going to be your administrative class. You weren't going to develop your own at all. Like they were really keeping them down. It was basically just racism. Like, they within their own racism of like we don't you know we think everyone from indochina as they called it was inferior within that they had tears and they thought that vietnamese people were like better than cambodian people
0: is this called is it like sub-colonialism is that what it's called in open veins
1: oh yeah that's what they call it when you know if in their example brazil was like dominating the other countries there and being like the U.S.'s kind of little brother yeah. <laughs> enforcing, <laughs> and in this case, it wasn't so much. I don't think that because it wasn't like the Vietnamese who were like, as a national project, you know, doing this. It's just that you know they had people there working doing colonial jobs.
0: Yeah, yeah, more more of an ethno kind of tension thing.
1: So yeah, that that goes on for a while. They're the French protectorate. They get integrated into what they call French Indochina, which is just kind of a merger. Supergroup uh, of Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos in 1887. And then it's during this time period uh, that you have the foundation of the Indochinese Communist Party.
0: Mm, okay, this sounds familiar.
1: Yes, this is from our Vietnam episode, part one. It had to be in part one because it's pretty early. This is before <laughs> when they're still French. Uh, this was, you know, the one founded by Ho Chi Minh. We're going to, you know, find a way to build communism all throughout indochina uh a little thing called world war ii happens oh man (laughs) and so it's a complicated story because like they're run by france which becomes vichy france the the german puppet state uh but then japan invades them anyway even though japan's in there like a lot so it causes some tensions (laughs) but out of that the the previous king of Cambodia, they still get, you know, like I said, they still have the monarchy or whatever, dies. And they put in place a king that they're like, this guy's 18. I mean, he's a chump. We'll push him around. <laughs> okay. He'll do whatever we say because he's just a kid, you know. A guy called Norodom Sihanouk. He will literally be there the rest of the story.
0: Okay, man.
1: He's installed as king in 1941. Yeah, in 1993 is when we'll last see him on the stage. Holy so. shit.
0: <laughs> Buckle in.
1: Yeah, the guy has some staying power or doesn't really, but he gets the limelight. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So see a nuke is how I'm going to call him the rest of the time. That's how he's known. And so he's king in the French protectorate, uh, which is briefly occupied by Japan during World War II. And the whole time that he's king in that situation, he's campaigning on the international stage for independence all right his big deal is i want cambodia to be sovereign you know make its own decisions to be its own country crucially with me in charge yeah i was gonna (laughs) say
0: not too much sovereignty
1: he is yeah he's definitely and you'll see him morph into and go through ideologies like outfits
0: (laughs) you know he's young He's finding himself.
1: <laughs> he's yeah. He's he's experimenting. Yeah. Um, he's only eighteen. <laughs> well, I think for me the the common thread that we'll see with Sihanouk is he wants to be in charge. Yeah, okay. yeah. He thinks he knows what's best, and he's the only one to guide the country, and he'll put like I said, put on whatever outfit he needs to do that.
0: <laughs> Great
1: he's campaigning for that. It's in 1945 at the tail end of the war that you see the for- formation of something called the Khmer Isarak. And I should say something about this term because I've used it a couple times Khmer. This is like an ethnic group in that area. And then there, within that there are like kind of sub-ethnic groups of like Khmer, this Khmer, that, and it's also used like as an adjective. So it's like in this case, the Khmer Isarak are like these rebels. Mm, so the Isarak okay. is like denoting, okay, these are the Khmer rebel people. They're a loose collection of anti-French, anti-colonial groups. They want Cambodian independence. But past that, they have all these different factions that really can't agree on much else. (laughs) Gotcha. (laughs) They have non-communist, kind of like nationalist groups. And they have communist ones. Great. So uh, a mixed bag. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The communist ones were influenced by and even kind of like recruited and set up by uh the viet Minh Mm, from vietnam
0: interesting
1: yeah so they were kind of doing some some world revolution stuff right next door they were taught like marxism leninism in political schools that vietnam had set up in cambodia so like the communist activists had gone over and like Started doing their, you know, as it always starts, book clubs: <laughs>
0: <laughs> The most subversive thing.
1: <laughs> and so it sets up this interesting relationship that we'll see carry forward that has pretty dire consequences for the whole story, and that's that the Cambodian communists, from this point on, and really even in the Indo-Chinese Communist Party, were always seen as by the Vietnamese and felt by themselves to be the junior partners
0: Mm, in the relationship
1: the little brother yeah and so when they are advocating for their independence and stuff and you know we want to do this we want to try to carry this out uh, one of the things that came to a head soon was like should we be working with these groups but then eventually like should we be working with the government And Vietnam was much more accommodating. They were like, the conditions in your country, they're not really ripe for revolution, national liberation yet, like they are here. We're the main story. You guys, like, kind of, you know, work toward it. Don't just lay down. But help us out right now, because it's kind of our deal, and then we'll get to you.
0: Main character syndrome.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, and and the (laughs) Cambodian communists really felt that strongly, and that carries forward, I think. In how they see their relationship or antagonistic relationship sometimes with uh, Vietnam. And this is kind of where it begins. So, anyway, you have the Khmer Issarak, these rebels, fighting against Sihanouk and his government, uh, and fighting against the French occupation, the French colonizing, all that. And later, this kind of splits. One of the groups becomes the Kampuchean People's Revolutionary Party. Right, this will eventually become the Communist Party of Kampuchea.
0: Okay, so the communists split off.
1: Yeah, the communists are like, we're cooler than you guys. <laughs> uh, and this is in 1951. This is actually this is a split within that Indo-Chinese Communist Party, too. So uh, this is when they set up the Workers' Party of Vietnam that becomes the Communist Party. They're all just kind of like, hey, we need to focus on us. You need to focus on that. All the different countries.
0: I need to take some me time.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, this is also, in 1951 is when things are really heating up in terms of the Indo-Chinese, or the, how do you call it?
0: The Sino split?
1: Not yet. That's that's coming. That's a (laughs) big part of the story. Uh, (laughs) But the... Vietnam getting independent from France, uh, the Indochina okay. War. Uh, that's about to superheat up and like blow up. <laughs> so Sihanouk is king under the French until 1953, uh, when because of the deteriorating situation in Vietnam, France is like, "Hey, we're 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 cutting loose. We're getting out. Like we're not we're not keeping colonies over here." Uh, they're about to get their ass kicked at Dien Bien Phu. And have to go and negotiate, like, the independence of Vietnam and all that stuff, as well as Laos, as well as Cambodia. So, Sihanouk finally gets his deal of being independent. How's it go? Well, he talks a big game. He tells everybody, I'm great. You know, I'm going to make sure that we're not taken over by the communists like they have over there in Vietnam. Okay. You know, I'm going to make sure we have a democracy and rule of law and all this Mm. he's really only interested in democracy and rule of law insofar (laughs) as it works for keeping him in power yeah yeah (laughs) he's at his core authoritarian um and anytime there's any dissent he quashes it
0: democracy as long as you vote for me also you can't vote for me because i'm a king that's not how kings work
1: (laughs) (laughs) well he's a king for a while for a couple years uh and then he abdicates in favor of his dad
0: oh, okay
1: and becomes enters politics becomes prime minister <laughs> instead
0: okay that's pretty nuts okay
1: so like i said like he doesn't care it's like oh, i'll do it as king oh never mind it's not cool <laughs> anymore i'll do it as prime minister <laughs>
0: weird. weird yeah
1: so he's he's just a chameleon man and mm-hmm. uh yeah like i said he he does not take opposition at all anybody who opposes him he Jails him or he kills him, you know, whatever works. Yep. Uh, he technically allows there to be this like socialist party, but he just, he frequently like puts them in minor posts or he like kills one of their party members. And (laughs) is just like, I don't know how that happened, you know? Weird. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So pretty mean guy. His whole platform at that time was what he was calling Buddhist socialism.
0: Okay, this doesn't sound very Buddhist or very
1: socialist. Right, which to me sounds good, but it's actual what he's what he actually good branding, but not good (laughs) carrying out of it. It was just like kind of like maybe social democracy type welfare state Mm. stuff. But with that iron fist behind it, don't fucking cross me. He's super anti-communist.
0: Yeah, clearly.
1: Uh, (laughs) The rebels are still out there uh they're pretty small at this point they they, they don't have many in their ranks they're not really getting that much traction uh but see hanuk helps them out (laughs) okay Uh, he doesn't mean to (laughs) okay but basically he he decides that he needs more rice for for cheaper prices uh and these peasants just aren't selling him rice at good enough prices for him to make a profit and afford all of his luxuries. Mm. So he sends in the military or his top general guy, a guy named Lon Nall, who will also be a a character going forward, sends him in and he's like, okay, go in there and do Ramassage, which is a term like a vocab term here. Ramassage means, uh, where you show up with the army, you point guns at the peasants and you say, sell us the rice for this much money. And they're like, that's like a tenth of the price. What are you talking about? And they're like, yeah, well, you also get to live, you know?
0: I don't like raw massage.
1: Yeah, it's not good. Okay. It's not like a deep tissue massage. <laughs> it's All a right, raw too massage raw. not good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they start doing that. And it's in Samlaut, in one of their provinces, uh, that the peasants decide, actually, fuck that. We're going to fight back.
0: Awesome. Great.
1: Uh, so that's in 1967 it kicks off it's kind of the prelude to but i consider it kind of the opening salvo of the cambodian civil war uh, which is the war between the communist rebels in the countryside against trying to overthrow Sihanouk's government great at first and then their opponent changes later so that's how (laughs) it starts out the cambodian civil war uh, it really starts escalating that's in 1967 it starts escalating the next year is when it really gets into gear another thing that happens in Nuke's time is that he gets cambodia drawn into the vietnam war in kind of a comedy Ooh. of errors uh yeah
0: <laughs> really fucking up
1: he's it, he, the thing is that he's like really trying to stay neutral but his version of staying neutral isn't like let's try to be nice to everybody and make you know like uh not offend anyone it's mm-hmm. more like oh let's be nice to this guy wait 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 wait. let, let me play this guy oh, up. Like, okay he just kind of keeps jumping around and too
0: many dates to the prom classic
1: yeah but it's like he's constantly you know throwing his drink in each of his dates face
0: <laughs> wow okay
1: so here's how it goes first uh jfk well first actually Ngô Dinh Diệm is killed assassinated in south vietnam uh, basically the U S let that happen, gave it the green light, so to speak. Then JFK is assassinated that same year. This is 1963. Mm. And, uh, <laughs> my man, uh, C hook was so happy about that, that he like basically just is doing celebrations. Like he's he's telling people like, take the day off. Like <gasps> we're going to do a holiday oh to celebrate God. these people dying. Wow. And <laughs> and america was like what the fuck that's like you know our fallen okay. or whatever yeah. yeah so that pisses them off and then to kind of top that off he signs this arms smuggling slash secret trail deal with china and north vietnam so the game was we're going to cambodia is gonna let china bring in weapons
0: mm, yeah, through yeah.
1: cambodia and then get that to north vietnam gotcha and then Cambodia was going to be paid in; they were going to get some sort of a payment in, I want to say in rice, uh, in rice production, as well as getting to keep like 10% of the mm, weapons.
0: Interesting.
1: When they found that out oh, and the secret trail was called the Sihanouk Trail, which just was sort of <laughs> like the Ho Chi Minh Trail, uh, where Vietnam had like all the secret paths through other yeah, countries yeah. This is part of that. So the Sihanouk Trail was in the south helping them get into South Vietnam. The US hated that. I bet. So when they found out about that they're like, "What the fuck? What are you doing?" <laughs> uh then he finds out that he finds I guess he finds a bunch of pamphlets, but he finds out that like China has been spreading communist propaganda in his country. Uh-oh. And he so he goes and yells at them and he's like, "You fucking assholes, I I'm fighting the communists. What are you doing?" And they're like, "What? We're communists. What do you want us to do?" (laughs)
0: Yeah, you signed a deal with us.
1: (laughs) So he goes back to the Americans. um, Oh my gosh! And tries to you know cozy up to them and meets with their ambassadors and tells them, "I know you guys are you know fighting real hard down there in Vietnam. It's it's tough, and you you're you're always chasing those National Liberation Front, the commonly called the Viet Cong." Uh, you're always chasing them over into our country, but you got to stop because the border. Look, I get it. If you need to chase them a few miles in <gasps> to get them, you can get them. You know, don't don't kill my regular villagers, but like you can go after those guys.
0: Okay.
1: All right. What do you think the Americans do with that information? Um, with? they
0: have fucking free reign now. They just go anywhere they want in Cambodia now. I bet.
1: <laughs> yeah, they take more than a mile. Uh, they. <laughs> put together a little bombing campaign
0: Mm. uh,
1: sickeningly called Operation Menu Menu? Menu like you go to the restaurant there's a menu. No! The reason it's called that is because uh, the first operation uh, was called Operation Breakfast.
0: (gasps) Oh my gosh. And
1: so they just started calling the subsequent like bombing targets that they were doing lunch, snack dinner Supper dessert.
0: What the fuck, guys?
1: Uh, in addition to being, you know, a very deadly bombing campaign, they they kill a lot of people. They drop like a hundred and eight thousand tons of bombs. Jesus. They, okay, why are they doing that? So they're going after um, they're going after bases of operation that the NLF and North Vietnamese Army, the, the PAVN, is their acronym, but whatever. Uh, they're going after North Vietnamese forces, uh, communist forces that have, that have bases in Cambodia. So they're trying to bomb those. It is also, in addition to being deadly and everything, uh, secret, Mm -hmm. they're not telling Congress about that, which is illegal. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This was Nixon, um, basically secretly expanding the Vietnam war.
0: Great.
1: Uh, it devastates the countryside of Cambodia, I mean, they just turn this place into the surface of the moon. Fuck. And it drives more people in the, in that situation. They're living in the countryside, getting bombed to hell. They're either running to the cities that aren't getting bombed, or if they're staying in the countryside, they're teaming up with the communists now. They're, this is a recruitment tool.
0: Yeah. You know? For real.
1: Like fight the guys that are you that
0: know are bombing killing you. your
1: people. Yeah. yeah. So that's Operation Menu. Thanks to Sihanouk's, not really invitation. I don't, you know, it's it's. He definitely didn't say, "Hey, come bomb my country,"
0: but, <laughs> but you can't you tell know. the
1: American stuff like that.
0: Man. Yeah, don't. Yeah, give him inch, give him a mile, give him a mile, <laughs> give him a country.
1: So obviously that makes Sihanouk really mad. Yeah. Um, so he turns toward Vietnam.
0: Oh my god.
1: Yeah, he's just again. He's just bouncing back. I know. I just did this, <laughs> but
0: <laughs> it's me again. <laughs>
1: and uh, he. Extends diplomatic recognition to the provisional government in South Vietnam. This is the NLF, like the future, you know, they're kind of the Viet Cong government, I guess There, mm-hmm. in Western parlance. He recognizes them and the, Ameri- the Americans get really angry about I'm that. I'm sure. And his top general, Lon Nall, he's a very right wing guy. He does not like any of these moves to like be neutral. He thinks they should be more aligned with the U.S., he doesn't like doing anything with the communists, so this makes him mad too.
0: Uh oh, we got a coup on our hands.
1: We have a coup. Good prediction.
0: Once you have a mad general, you know what happens.
1: <laughs> we have a coup. So, March eighteenth, nineteen seventy, our man Lon nall launches a coup against Sihanouk while Sihanouk's like traveling abroad.
0: Um, um, um. Did the U.S. help?
1: <laughs> that probably. <Okay. laughs> There's not direct evidence of it, but they seem they're pretty happy about I'm it. I'm
0: sure they didn't mind.
1: <laughs> yeah, they definitely didn't mind. And they definitely step up to support mm. once it's happened. Yeah, OK. I think they probably did. But Lon <laughs> is a complete puppet of the U.S. Uh, he's extremely anti-communist and he sets up a government there called the Khmer Republic, which is just a pro-U.S. military dictatorship. And so he's in charge of Cambodia, Long Nol is, for like five years. That's in 1970. And this is where our, our friend Sihanouk gets funky.
0: What, does he get desperate enough to like try communism?
1: Uh, I mean, not himself maybe, but he does team up with them.
0: Okay.
1: All right, so... All throughout, he's been fighting against the communists. You know, he's been like, oh, these guys are terrible. I hate them. I've been fighting a war against them. Uh, And he's the one who actually came up with the term that in just normal history we usually use. And there's no problem, I think, with using it. uh, Khmer Rouge. It just means, you know, the red Khmer's. Yeah. So he goes and teams up with the Khmer Rouge, teams up with the reds that he's been fighting
0: okay desperate move
1: and they call this alliance the national united front of campuchia which in French is funk
0: (laughs) great love it so
1: he got the funk now and they form like a government in exile like you know we're really in charge and this is a strange move for the communists too teaming up with with Sia this way because they they call that government the Royal Government mm. of the National Union of Kampuchea.
0: Weird, I don't like that.
1: Yeah, but each one is basically using the other. Yeah, yeah. You know, both of them think, hey, when it comes down to it, man, I'm going to take over. Mm-hmm. And the acronym for the government's name is also kind of cool. It's grunk.
0: Grunk. Funkin' grunk. The cool, <laughs> rowdy boys. <laughs>
1: Uh so this is a game changer actually because Sihanouk for all his wrongs was pretty popular. Really? The Cambodian people had had a monarchy for a long time. It was seen as kind of a national symbol for them. And so he was he was a popular guy. He, you know, knew how to talk to people, I guess. And him coming into that alliance with the Khmer Rouge really brought in tons more peasants into the civil war against the government. They were like, well damn, I mean
0: The king's on board, I'm in.
1: Yeah, like this is a big deal, you know. Okay. Uh, so they start joining and makes it way more popular. And yeah, this is when the civil war heats up to its final stage. Uh Nol orders the uh North Vietnamese and the uh NLF troops, he just says get out. Within 48 hours, I want you gone. No more bases, nothing. And that, that, logistically, this is not possible. And he knows this, and he's just trying to start shit with them. Yeah. <laughs> so he starts some more shit with them and says, well, I don't actually want these guys to come attack my cities and stuff. So I'm going to basically hold the ethnic Vietnamese population of Cambodia hostage.
0: Fuck. <gasps> about
1: 400,000 people in a, in a country about seven or eight million. Uh, and he is—he just starts like doing pogroms against them. Fuck, that like, sucks. Uh, yeah, like the police inside this stuff. Shocking. Yeah, well, yeah, they're—that's <laughs> that's what they do. And so the Khmer Rouge they their leadership meets with Vietnam and and says like, "Can you can you guys come help? Like we're <laughs> we're not strong enough to to fight this shit off. This guy's crazy." So they request basically an invasion. And that's what Vietnam does. They they invade March 29, 1970 uh to help, I guess, the communist side in the civil war. Good. Uh Lon Nol does not think that's good.
0: I'm sure. <laughs> I normally don't think invasions are good, but this one I can get behind.
1: Well, it probably won't be the first. Uh <laughs> or won't be the last rather. Uh, <laughs> uh Lon Nol requests aid from the United States. Help! I'm being invaded. Mm-hmm.
0: You
1: know, and by your enemies. So come on, you know, help me out. And so they s- start what's called the Cambodian campaign, which is where they send like fifty thousand American troops and about that many South Vietnamese troops. They invade. This is in late April, 1970. So they go in and start killing people too. They also start up a brutal three-year bombing campaign gotta love a bombing campaign oh yeah it was called operation freedom deal
0: Ugh. <laughs> i mean better than like snacky time or whatever
1: right yeah but in this case i guess the deal you're getting is the freedom to die uh <laughs> yeah. freedom from your mortar coil because they dropped more bombs on cambodia than they dropped on japan and world war ii
0: holy shit
1: and again they've turned the countryside into ruin they're flooding the cities with refugees they're flooding the communist ranks with new recruits i mean it's just tearing cambodia apart they're falling further and further into ruin in 1973 those three years into this carnage uh vietnam starts tapering off its aid to the cambodian communists they are now at the negotiating table with the Americans
0: Ooh. trying to get them to
1: stop doing things in, you know, bombing their people and stuff. So they're like, hey, we need, you know, we're, we're not going to be heavily involved right now. We're trying to be peaceful. We're doing our thing. And that's where you get that thread again
0: mm-hmm. of
1: how come our thing is less important than your thing.
0: Okay. So do you, did Vietnam like cut a deal of like, hey, like we'll play nice and we'll look the other way while you f- go fuck up Cambodia?
1: I don't think it was so much that. I mean, that's, that may be how they sold it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure about the details of their talks, really. But I think that they were trying to present as willing to negotiate position as possible. I mean, the whole name of the game for them was that they needed the Americans to stop. To, you know, To stop bombing, to stop supplying, to stop being there. Occupying the South because they knew if they could do that, the set, the South Vietnamese government didn't have popular support and would crumble. So it was like, do whatever you can to get them out out of here. The, that was just one of the things. Was like, hey, look, we're not we're not giving guns to your enemies anymore. Like we we're still we don't like you, but like we're not also fucking you up over here. So like,
0: okay, it's like a show of good faith kind of thing.
1: Yeah, and you know maybe there was an aspect of it of like and look with you don't have to deal with us anymore you can go do your thing over there if you want mm-hmm. we're not you know involved anymore that is what they what they do this operation freedom deal thing lasts for you know a, a long long time and, and like on the fight in the final days of it with all their material freed up from north vietnam and well from south vietnam really from the vietnam war the u.s turns those guns on on cambodia and fucks them up even more
0: oh god okay
1: so, yeah, with those extra resources freed up the, and, and the U.S. escalating its operations in Cambodia, they were able to keep up, to keep Lon Nol's government propped up for another two years, 73 to 75. Okay. Uh, and that's how they justify, too, because people come back at them, come back at the government, uh, the U.S. government and say, you guys were fucking butchers out there. You were, you were turning it into a lunar landscape. And they'll say, yeah, but if we hadn't done that, you would have had the fall uh, of Cambodia two years earlier. You know, we we saved them for that long.
0: That, I mean, it doesn't matter. That was already a coup. <laughs> it doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, but, well, from their justification, they're like, and, you know, you see how bad it got after mm-hmm. you know, after that, which it does. So, uh, let's talk about what happens going forward. So, Lon Nol's regime is basically falling apart. He's lost control of large swaths of the country. It's only... Sustained by the massive U.S. bombing and U.S. aid to uh, the capital and the cities, they're they're just like all the refugees. They're just feeding them rice, uh, and gradually, the you know the his legs start to crumble from under him, and 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 the North Vietnamese and Grunk forces are able to kind of close in on the capital of Phnom Penh. The phases of the war, it's. the the big picture is no, I have to get nitty gritty, but the big picture is that North Vietnam does the the heavy lifting at first, and then kind of like gradually shifts responsibility onto the Khmer. So along the way, as they're liberating big chunks of the country, we're going to see kind of the first little hints of, Hey, what are these guys going to do? These communists, what are they about? And so, One of the things they do in liberated areas is they set up, uh, they do land reform. I like that. Yeah. So they start equalizing land. The the people who hold lots of it, the landlords and all them, Mm -hmm. they end up with just a little bit. Great. And the peasants end up with all this land for themselves. Nice. Yeah, pretty good stuff there. They also set up mutual aid teams mm, okay. uh, so kind of like because you're you're doing the land reform in this sort of private way it's not really collectivized yeah uh, but you're kind of setting up like collect- uh, collectives or mutual aid in terms of like uh labor if if you have to go like to different fields at different times for different crops like oh we'll work on this guy's field to- today and then this person's field or or uh Tools as well was a big part of it. It It's like, oh, let's pool these resources together so we can, like, have the tools we need to do shit.
0: Okay. So collectivizing labor and, like, doing shift rotations and tool libraries, that kind of thing. Yeah. Cool.
1: They were also abolishing some things we don't like, like money.
0: Uh, Yeah, I hate money.
1: They abolished money, credit, private property in general. Great. One of the thing interesting things about that, though, was that the reason that they did that, they, kind of interviews later on talked about it, the reason that they did that, especially like money and credit and things like that, the, the, the market part of it, uh, was mainly to stop peasants from selling rice uh, to <laughs> the, well, to government forces, but also to the Vietnamese army. Okay. Uh, they were just like, well, how can we solve that? Well, what if they just get their, Price from us like we just distribute that
0: mm-hmm. we
1: we set it we make everything like totally non-market and it's just like yeah you get what you need hopefully and there, and there's no you can't do anything with money here so you're not going to sell it to someone else <laughs> like so that, that way we have enough interesting that was their strategy uh they also instituted a dress code mm, weird uh yeah let me show you their their dress code here see what you think
0: fit check <laughs> oh Okay, I can get down with this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know like how gendered it is, but I, I like the scarf. That's a good look.
1: It was uh, intended to have people dress like poor peasants.
0: Oh, okay.
1: So you'd have these black clothes. You'd have uh, these red and white scarves called crema and sandals. Just these plain black sandals that were made of tires, actually.
0: Whoa. I mean, I have a very similar pair of sandals, so I'm into it.
1: Tire sandals?
0: I mean, they're not made out of tires. They're (laughs) they're more goth and chunky. But uh, yeah, I mean, the the red pattern scarf, it's almost like a gingham pattern. Then with like stripes at the end. It's cute. It's a good fall look. This is my fall mood board now.
1: (laughs) One of the downsides to this was, and this is going to introduce an element of, of the Khmer Rouge that, I mean, I'm pretty sure how we'll feel about it uh, is that this was initially this is sort of a traditional Khmer dress. Uh, This was initially a rule, a dress code that was rolled out for the Cham ethnic group, uh, which is like in southern Cambodia. Uh, So they are seen as a different ethnic group than the Khmer. So they were like, you guys have to wear this. You have to wear Uh, our traditional clothing.
0: That's kind of shitty. Okay.
1: And yeah, then they eventually said, let's have everyone do it. It's cool. Um, mm. And it's not universal. I mean, like they did not literally make everyone wear this, but like they were encouraging it and saying like, you got to wear this. And
0: and yeah. it was free. I'm sure.
1: Yeah. This is what they were giving people. Yeah.
0: It wasn't like, I'll shoot you if you don't wear this scarf.
1: Right. Now, uh, the reason I bring that up is at the ethnic group thing is this is going to be Something that we see with the Khmer Rouge is that they
0: they favor one ethnic group more
1: yeah, to the point of which they're like they think that the Khmer are superior
0: oh okay, that's not great,
1: yeah, so they they mix their their communism with some with some just racism
0: that's not good, we don't like that in our communism to get that yeah. out of there
1: it's that's not where it belongs,
0: mm mm You'll put it back in capitalism where it belongs.
1: Belongs in the dust heap of history. <laughs> so yeah, that's what they're doing in the liberated areas. And they're they're marching along, they're closing in on the Capitol. April first, nineteen seventy five, Law null. He throws in the towel, man. He's like, I resign. He flees to the United States.
0: <laughs> of course. Uh,
1: yeah, he'll he'll die in California in nineteen eighty
0: five. Gives a bunch of speeches, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, just Lives it up. He's fine. Uh, Yeah. He's
0: fine. Don't feel bad for him.
1: Just a couple weeks later, the Khmer Rouge, the Communist Party of Campuchia, uh, take power on April 17th, 1975. They ride victoriously into Phnom Penh.
0: Okay. Great.
1: Yeah. I mean, people think this is pretty good. This is kind of (laughs) cool. That other guy was an asshole. Mm Mm-hmm. They're not currently bombing us like they stopped.
0: That's a good start.
1: Yeah, man. Maybe this will be good. Also, do you guys have food? Because we've got like two weeks worth of rice rations here. Oh, fuck. And you have like in Phnom Penh, you have like two and a half million people. Oh. Millions of whom, I want to say it's almost like two million or like one and a half million something. Most of them are refugees from the countryside. And, And so... Because this is a very rural country, 8 million people total, most of them living in the countryside. And you got two and a half million of them here. Like, Fuck,
0: yeah, that's going to be a problem.
1: They're faced with just this terrible situation. And it's interesting how they approach this in general because they're the Communist Party of Kampuchea, But to the people that they're interacting with, they're still very secretive. Even throughout the Civil War, uh, they were only really known as the ANKAR which is the organization.
0: Oh, so nobody knew they were communist yet.
1: Right. Like the leadership.
0: Yeah. Would, yeah.
1: And, and the, the party real party members, but people who are like working with them and everything, it was just the car.
0: Interesting.
1: It was, yeah, it was kept under wraps.
0: Huh. okay.
1: And, and then you would kind of find out once they start, you know, doing communism in place, <laughs> but, uh, but they were not really saying it.
0: Yeah. It's kind of like, uh, Fidel did that, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, he was, he was just like, we're, we're not, we're not Marxist, we're not communist, I don't know, we're just, we're just we fighting be for independent. Freedom. Yeah, no, th- I just found that really interesting, and, and mm-hmm. one of those things that I, I wanted to do more on Pol Pot and stuff, but I didn't think we have time for like a full-on personal dive, but like one of the things that he did, you know, his, he was born Saloth Sar was his name, and his summary is like, he goes to school in, in, in Paris, like goes to university in Paris, so he's you know educated with the in and, and running with like the the French communists and stuff there. Yeah, talking theory and all that. And they actually, the leadership of uh, the Communist Party of Campuchia like this Khmer Rouge, like the center of it, their top leadership are these like students who like were went studied in France together and like talked ah, the theories out and shit. Okay. Um but he flunks out and comes back, you know, to join in the in the revolutionary stuff like that. But the interesting thing to me is he does like a dual identity thing for a while. He at at some point adopts the name Pol Pot during the revolution and he's like two people for like, you know, he was this like journalist, academic guy oh. and teacher uh for a little bit because when he comes back he's like i don't know what to do so he he does teaching for a little bit mm-hmm. which i mean i guess i, I yeah, get right, it. relatable um, <laughs> before he joins with the revolutionaries but he, he, people don't know whatever happened to Tsar and then here you have this random pole pot guy who's claiming to be like you know just the son of a peasant or Fucking something
0: alter ego maybe we should have done that that'd be smart
1: Yeah, he's, he kind of alter egos. Um, And then later they reveal like, oh, actually, Paul Pot is Salazar. It's like a season finale Mm -hmm. (laughs) reveal. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay. Interesting. So they're very secretive. I just think this is an interesting um, aspect of them. Because we've talked about that with the Bolsheviks before. Not so much of being secretive, but like mm, being distrusting or or conspiratorial maybe.
0: Yeah, because of how they came up.
1: Mm -hmm. And that's here too is very secretive and with that i think comes i don't like the term because i don't like how it's misused in in by the agents of capitalism but an authoritarian approach to things is hey we we know these things you just need to do the do the stuff yeah you don't need need to know the stuff you just need to do it Uh, anyway so they take power they're in this terrible situation because the country is completely collapsed it's been bombed to hell overcrowded with refugees. The refugees were dependent on American aid. And then when the convoys got cut off in the midst of the civil war, the Americans were like flying in Berlin airlift style supplies to feed these people, to keep Lon Nall's regime propped up. And even then, I mean, those guys like till the end, this guy's corrupt generals were like, skimming off the top even as the country's collapsing like just okay horrible you know
0: very cool
1: so the Khmer Rouge have an idea
0: okay what's their great idea
1: we gotta restart agriculture we, we gotta start growing shit to feed people and we can start by emptying this mass of refugees that we have sending them back to the countryside get farming going again the most of these people are peasants they're used to it they know what to do we get them producing food to feed themselves, to feed the country before we all starve, get the country back into balance.
0: Not a bad start. makes sense. They were probably farmers before.
1: Yeah. And to me, it kind of had like aspects of Kropotkin's conquest, conquest? of bread of like, yeah. yeah, of like, go, you know, for a while, you're going to have to guard, man. For a while, you're going to have to, you're going to have to grow some shit because yeah. we've we got to survive, you know, got to have food just have everyone do some farming so that's what that was their initial plan and this would in addition kickstart agricultural production and stuff to feed people in the short term but in the medium to long term as you intensify that production with collectivization and stuff like that uh you're a- better able to produce more and more of a surplus and if you start putting together water uh pro- irrigation projects a- and getting multiple growing seasons you can get up to three there if you can get that going then you'll have so much extra rice and everything else that you can produce the surplus to purchase foreign equipment to mechanize to industrialize so the first goal would be produce enough to fully mechanize agriculture which of course then is going to make even more and then you produce enough to fully industrialize
0: makes sense yeah, so that was the plan. How'd it go?
1: Well, it it goes pretty brutally. Yeah. Because they show up to the cities, and there are really no exceptions for getting to stay.
0: Like anyone.
1: Like anyone.
0: So okay, because I've heard of this guy before, Pol Pot, mm-hmm. and like it's it sounded like he was you know very pro peasant, which at first you're like yeah. But, like, mm-hmm. also very anti city, which you're like,
1: oh. Yeah, that's basically true.
0: Okay. Hate cities. That's <laughs> bad news for me. I'm a bit of a city pig.
1: <laughs> yeah, and we'll, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll offer context as to why and stuff as we get into it, but kind of true. Okay. Broad strokes, overly Broad strokes. simplified.
0: <laughs> gotcha. That's my jam. That's what I do here.
1: <laughs> uh, the problem, so. Without exceptions, we're emptying the cities. There are people who are very old. Or there are people who are very sick. There are people in the hospital.
0: And he still kicks them out? Yeah. Fuck. When
1: people refuse, they are just killed.
0: Fuck. Their
1: house is razed to the ground. Okay. Um, Not
0: great.
1: People are carrying like their sick children in, in whatever bag they can find Fuck. to bring them along. People are getting left on the side of the road on the march there thousands of people die Ugh. doing this
0: yeah fuck this
1: so not a good idea okay so the the counter argument or the only defense to that that you can really mount is great let's hear it all right so it's it's there there's 2 weeks worth of rice so we've okay. literally got to get people out of here so they can find food somewhere
0: yeah but you don't need to fucking take the kick the sick people and the old people out what the fuck kind of rice can they grow
1: yeah, definitely not like people who sh- who could not have kept up or whatever. Like, you should have had some, you should have come up with in the moment something. I mean, I, you can think of like, hey, you, you, and you, you're going to stay and take care of the sick people. Like, you know, yeah, like, uh, you can figure that out. It doesn't yeah, take a lot that, of brain power. That doesn't to figure seem out what that do hard.
0: That. Like, yeah, keep the hospitals running. Great. We're done.
1: <laughs> yeah. There are ways around that. But the masses of people, I think the argument is not too out there to say that they were kind of doomed to starvation if mm-hmm. they stayed, given the current circumstances.
0: They were. They were for sure. But, like, there has to be a way to, like, get them to understand that and work with them rather than against them. Like, definitely, like, get get people who want to go first. Like, sure, get, get them going, get them set up. And then, you know, work with the... Because uh, I imagine an, an issue with, like, okay, well you know the sick people or the children or the old people can stay is then you have their family members who also want to stay Mm -hmm. i mean work out a work rotation where they can still visit their loved ones or something or like maybe they are then the ones that are on staff for the hospital or something like there's got to be a system here that doesn't result in like mass painful migration for people
1: yeah for sure the problem i think with the reason why they're not taking that approach Mm -hmm. goes back to giving the context of why they're anti-city part of the move to just evacuate everyone from the cities and go to the countryside. One of the things about that is, is not so much a temporary measure of we got to eat right now. Like it was in that sense of like, it's important for immediate survival, but they weren't really intending on bringing the city's back ever
0: oh was it um very pro city before like lan and what's his name were they all
1: Lan and and yeah they were they were cosmopolitan you know they had their power base was there this was seen as the most you know pro-american pro-french sector of society it was richer yeah. And there was the age old resentment of the countryside versus the, the decadence. Yeah. The, the the rich fools in the city.
0: And you had the history of the corruption with the generals.
1: And not just that, but before then the royal family and, every, you know, it was, mm-hmm. it was all centered on that. There was that just among the populace and the Khmer Rouge in particular, the party, had come up with. They 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 do this really like not Marxist thing. Okay. All right. We 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 say frequently which side do you want, right? And we got a side you can be on, you know, a side you should be on, and a side you shouldn't be on. <laughs> That's like our our whole deal. Yeah. Right. But how do we decide that? Who's on what side?
0: Uh, by who has what?
1: By who has what, and what the like the social relations or the relations of production, right? Like. Yeah. 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 If you're the capitalist, this isn't because, like, you make a certain amount of money. Because, like, you own the stuff to make things with. Like, you, you are an owner. And you employ people. You buy people for a certain amount of time. Like, that's the distinction. And that's how you tell it's very scientific. It makes sense. It can tell you important things about how an economy runs.
0: Yeah. And it is, I mean... I don't want to use the word inclusive because that sounds very like buzzwordy and not quite what I'm going for. But the end result is you have more people on your side that way.
1: It's big tent.
0: Yes, that's the word.
1: <laughs> the Cambodian communists, well, I say they did something very not Marxist, is that they divided, they, they saw their society as divided into two groups too. But they didn't use those distinctions. Their distinction was between the old people and the new people
0: okay what does that mean
1: here it's very in my opinion very reactionary too Mm -hmm. because it wants to go back because in this case the old people are the good people
0: oh that's weird
1: usually a revolutionary movement will be like, like in in the soviet union it was we want to create the new soviet person right who has these these socialist qualities and is better and that was a good thing
0: I was gonna guess like I guess old is like you're still down with the king and down with the lawn guy, like, you know. But the lawn other way around
1: guy. he just mows the lawn. He's the um, lawn guy. <laughs> no, but it's the other way around. So the new people the new people are these city folk. All right. They're the ones corrupted by the wealth the West. of the yeah, of the West and their lackeys. They're the ones who are uh, decadent, you know, newfangled looking and everything too. They're, it's it's a, it's it's like a boomer sort of thing. It's like these yeah. are the ones with the long hair and you and, and they they, they <laughs>
0: blue hair gave pronouns, speeches and baby. stuff
1: too. Yeah, they were like you can't tell which of them are men or women <gasps> because they were very traditionalist. So oh. the old people were the good ones. The old like people this. upheld the admirable ways of the peasantry. You know, they they worked hard. Uh, they looked after each other. Uh, they were the true, you know, peasants, and thus the spirit of the revolution.
0: Weird, weird. I mean, I love a peasant. Like I love, I love, like I, I like Mao's kind of whole deal and in incorporating them more. And I think that's a good instinct. Mm-hmm. But that's a weird tact take. That's a weird interpretation of that
1: i agree and i think that it's not just weird it is weird like it's just it's just (laughs) weird um it's detrimental uh, and i shouldn't say weird maybe but it's like not our culture right so Mm -hmm. that does not make sense to us whereas it may very well make sense in the cambodian sense at the time of like well that's our history that's where we come from that's generations you know okay
0: I guess when I when I say weird, I mean, maybe it seems like it could be detrimental. Like if your plan is to eventually industrialize your fucking agriculture, like you're going to need cities, guys. Like you can't just do that anywhere unless you're going full anarchist, which it sounds like you don't want to do because you're already showing some authoritarian streaks.
1: Yeah. And I I'm very much of that mind that it's not useful because you threw the Marxism part out. Like, don't Mm -hmm. do that. Uh, okay what what, who's who's in your in your old in your old people group right you have some a lot of peasants and stuff right uh but you also probably have some you know quote-unquote peasants who own land and work it but also hire other people the russians call them kulaks right Mm -hmm. you probably also have that that's they're not supposed to be in your class like they're not on your side but you got them with you
0: but didn't they take their land away
1: yeah, that's true. That's true. I guess you don't have very many of those guys. <laughs> yeah, or <laughs> well, not for long. But th- the worst <laughs> part is that in y- your new people, you know, yeah, okay, or you have some you hold over lackeys from the law and all and all that, sure. Uh, but you also uh, have like regular workers. You mm-hmm. know, you also have just like service workers, uh, industrial workers. Uh, you know, people who could be on your side. Yeah. But, you know, you've said no, 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 they are. They're the new people. They're not good. It's like in in American modern discourse, how they say like coastal elites and stuff like that. (laughs) Yeah. It's like non, it's not class. Like it's not a class analysis. That's not a class. You can't say, oh, you're in the coastal elite class. It's not right.
0: (laughs) I was thinking about that generation theory and like Mm, how it it is divisive in that way and and not a class way and it is to me like i was like it it all comes down to fucking demographics like they want to figure out how to like you know analyze and buy and sell to us so like that's the way they figured out they can do it they want to do that without like getting to class
1: (laughs) Parenti said it best anything but class abcs (laughs) (laughs)
0: not the abcs i'll be teaching my child they will learn hold on let me think of an a anarchism uh bolshevikism and i almost said kropotko that's a k communism there we go i don't know why i went to a different one (laughs) those are the abcs of my future household nice hi luna we have a special guest hey luna should we do the Lunar Ranger poll with our listeners?
1: No, I don't want to hear it. Okay. <laughs> her name is Luna. If you think her name should be Ranger, you're incorrect.
0: You're incorrect. Sorry. This is a this is a popular theory amongst our friends, and I refuse to believe it.
1: But you're entitled to be wrong. It's fine.
0: That's fine. We're not going to make you change clothes into peasant clothes or anything.
1: <laughs> well, it was worse than that. So if you got into the new people category if you were seen as it is just any of the city dwellers you know and then anyone who was seen as being like them or having tendencies of them it could be broad and it includes because remember we said that they have this i mean just racism part added on to it uh those are those are not old people either yeah if you found yourself in those groups things are really bad for you Um, okay so
0: ethnic groups probably intellectuals Mm -hmm. also weird because their leadership came from that so like weird move
1: also weird that in in terms of the ethnic groups because well uh, yeah that too well but i mean many of the top leadership position people were like of mixed heritage
0: Mm. and i mean you just got through like getting your ass saved by vietnam so like stupid move
1: that one's more like historical like really long-term you know in terms of getting dominated back and forth back in the day yeah i guess culturally but also they you know even more recently they still have that rivalry of like oh Mm -hmm. maybe they're gonna try to put us into their little federation and we'll just be junior partner so i mean i get that that's not like not to justify that's fine do racism but that's fine (laughs)
0: You heard it here first. That's the quote. Do racism.
1: <laughs> That's fine. Do racism. All right. What's next? What's next? They were very brutal toward their enemies. The Khmer Rouge, when they take power and they do the evacuations, lots of people die, but they start setting stuff up. You know, they start building their farms and doing things, trying to rebuild. Uh, they also renamed the country Democratic Kampuchea and uh, start about about the process of eliminating their enemies so these new people one of the things that happened to them was being used as a labor source everybody was but they were targeted in terms of like you were going to have to work more you're going to have to do the hardest physical labor you were going to be sent to the worst parts of the country where you know you die of disease and stuff like that or it's just more inhospitable you got less rations all this shit that sucks. Yeah. It was it was not um it was not good. You know, this is basically forced labor, which yeah, okay. Forced labor is not good. Capitalism <laughs> always does forced labor. It's thre- threat of starvation. Mhm. But that doesn't mean that this is good either. New people could be summarily executed. Ooh. This was they didn't basically just didn't have the same tier of rights. They were not what you called full rights members, which were the old people.
0: So like, I don't know, we we kind of already talked about how it's, it seems like a nebulous term, but in practice, like how did that work? Was it just like someone declared you that? Was that like.
1: Yes. I mean, they, they put you like on lists and they meticulously Mm. tracked. This is impressive because of like how shitty of a situation they were in.
0: Yeah. That you still took the time to like enforce racism. Great.
1: Yeah, well, they set up like, you know, uh, a secret police, an intense state security apparatus that got really granular, got really like grassroots, and and they set up like kind of uh, neighborhood or or village level committees basically to be able to kind of monitor people and stuff.
0: Ooh, okay.
1: And even in the city evacuation stuff. They had people when when they when they got to the villages, away from the city, they had them like write a little biography: who were your parents? How did you grow up? You know, like where?
0: Oh God!
1: What were you doing in you know in this uh, during the previous regime? All that stuff.
0: Oh, that sucks.
1: So they kind of got to determine based on based on that where people should be, uh, and in addition to like. Just the forced labor and things like that. Any sort of perceived opposition or real opposition that did happen could get you sent um, into the prison slash torture and execution Ugh. sector of the government.
0: It sounds like they're very traditionalist in a lot of ways. I'm gonna guess they like were very shitty about like gender. I'm assuming and like I mean if you're a racist. You know, I'm just making some <laughs> assumptions here.
1: Uh, yeah. Uh, one of the things that they were very traditional about was uh, marriage and sexual relations. And liberated areas during the Civil War strongly encouraged these, these morals, basically, and said, like, hey, you better not have premarital sex or, you know, anything like that. And then this was more strictly enforced once they were in, in government.
0: Yeah, I don't think these guys are communists.
1: Yeah, I mean they they're they're doing some very uncommunist things. Yeah. I think they did a few communist things. I mean, you know, they did the land reform.
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah, but they did some really bad stuff. They
1: talked bad about capitalists.
0: Yeah, that's good.
1: And about people living in cities, which doesn't really relate, but No. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean they were very strict about that. Sex outside of marriage. So not just before marriage, I guess af- outside of marriage in general. Punishable by execution.
0: What the fuck? You can't be a slut. No sledding. What the fuck?
1: It was based on an idealized conception of the attitudes of pre-war rural Cambodia.
0: Oh my God.
1: Uh, also, marriage required permission from the authorities.
0: Weird. Okay.
1: So you had to go say, hey, could, can we? Do, do you think this is cool? Do you think we're a good match? <laughs>
0: weird and they
1: like analyze your horoscope <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my gosh we've been watching the indian matchmaker show
1: <laughs> oh no i hated that oh. apparently they were also very like they were which this is not i don't think this is traditional like this is where they come with the idealized thing is that they were opposed to the traditional cambodian extended family unit they wanted small nuclear units of parents and children.
0: You gotta adapt your ideology to, like, the culture, for one thing. And for another, like, the f- nuclear family is, like, a product of capitalism, I would say.
1: Yeah, they didn't read Engels, as far as i No. Very pro-natalist, though. Like, they were super into producing more children.
0: That's what I was wondering.
1: So, not good policies there.
0: It'd be easier for me instead of Strikes to find things that I like about this guy.
1: Yeah, uh, it's not a good project, really.
0: <laughs> just just fail. Fail it out out of the class.
1: Yeah, so that wasn't good education-wise. Basically, they did primary education. They wanted to do primary education or whatever, but they wanted to but higher education was like they they didn't care about that. And they were kind of suspicious toward people in that regard. They were like, "Oh, you're an intellectual," like you said. that 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 was definitely a new person sort of thing. Literary schooling above primary grades was basically just no. You, you know, you have literacy, that's it.
0: Cool. Enough to count the beans or whatever it is you're farming.
1: Yeah. Pretty much the only exception to this because, okay, also another thing to note is that they're not great at governing the whole country. They don't like these these laws and stuff that we're talking about are unequally applied. Mm. So they'll be super strict some places and not super strict in other places. One of the patterns that you see is that in the region of the country, the eastern zone that's kind of closer to Vietnam, they more align with more vietnamese policies so they tend to be less ridiculous um and they're you know they're, they have contact with the party there and they're like well why don't we you know why don't why don't we do like full literacy and education and shit like that's good you know <laughs> so they have more organized kind of a more organized education system actually like got textbooks and shit
0: yeah yeah so you want to live in the eastern area
1: yeah if you could yeah yeah I don't know there's 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 sort of a not ginned up completely because there was that anti-intellectual streak but there's like a amplified exaggeration of like oh if you even wore glasses they would kill you and no. that this probably happened in some places I'm sure because it was so crazy all throughout but it doesn't seem like they were really going for the glass extermination move I didn't <laughs> see that anywhere in like the regular stuff that was more of like a maybe a legend thing. Uh but this stuff was really difficult to look at and like I said when you when you end up in the torture or prison or execution situation it was really bad. And yeah. we won't detail it. Um there was one particular place it's now called the Tuol Sleng Genocide Museum. It's back in the day it was called Tuol Sleng, uh also called Security Prison 21 a former high school. So high school reunion would be awkward going back there. God. Uh, But basically this was like a torture and execution center uh, for the regime. About 20,000 people were imprisoned there or like went through it. Cambodia is, is known in addition to like the Vietnam relationship thing. There's, there's also the Cambodian genocide, which is happening at this time.
0: Okay. So what's that?
1: So, this is where lots of people die.
0: I mean, yeah, it's a genocide. That is what happens. <laughs> uh,
1: the Cambodian genocide is just referring to uh, the number of people who are killed, whether via be execution or what is termed excess deaths uh, during this time period. It's contentious sometimes. Right? We mentioned that Chomsky got in trouble with it. Other people have for various aspects of it. The Cambodian genocide is very specific terminology that mm, focuses in just on the time period of democratic Kampuchea, of the Khmer Rouge. It does not include all the U.S. bombings or Lon Nal, any of that. So it's, it's just, just when they're in power. It's estimated anywhere from like 1.2 is like a little low. Uh, 1.5 is like the lowest generally accepted one up to like two as like the higher generally accepted. This is I'm, I'm picturing like one of those bar and yeah, whisker yeah. graphs, I guess, because yeah. then you have like the upper estimates that you see of like three. That's the range you're talking in a country of like 8 million people. So yeah, however you lot. slice that, that's a lot.
0: So correct me if I'm wrong here. I was under the impression genocide is generally ethnically focused i mean it sounds like they definitely targeted ethnic groups in this but is that you think a correct term or i mean here's the deal i have a way no matter how you slice it you know numbers wise and name wise it's bad don't get me wrong
1: yeah so generally you would refer to like trying to wipe out a an a group of people based on ethnicity or religion or something like that yeah mm-hmm. um, i tend not to think that class position is really something you can genocide someone on but then again they're not really doing that we just said they're not really analyzing my class they just have these broad categories of people
0: i mean if you think about it there you know if you think about nazism that includes other broad categories of people too besides jewish people you know like they also you know got rid of gays they got rid of like different religious groups but like and intellectuals like they they did that that's kind of stuff too.
1: Yeah. That's also a point of debate is the Holocaust. Some people say it's got to be that specifically that term specifically refers to the Jews part and not the other victims of the Nazi regime which is which is all every, everything from political pres- prisoners uh to gay people to Polish people to yeah. There's there's all sorts of other yeah. groups and Soviets in there in their prisoner of war camps and everything. Yeah, there's there's a debate on that too. There's a lot of ethnic cleansing going on in the Cambodian genocide. There's the the class aside section of it as well. There's religious groups. There's just you know political opponents in general. Uh, it's horrific stuff. Like you said, I basically agree that it's just like really bad
0: it's bad no matter what you call it yeah
1: like you know sure go go and go and hang you a few capitalists i mean it's fine yeah but uh parody 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 but um (laughs) but just like wholesale you know one of the things that cambodia is known for in the cambodian genocide is the killing fields
0: yeah what are those
1: so one of the things they would do is take people out to execution locations, you know, just places to execute them and put them in a in a ditch and bury them. The victims of this were often killed uh without like guns, and the easiest way or the cheapest way that they found to do this was by just using like a pickaxe. Fuck. To like save on the bullets.
0: Fuck.
1: So that happened to a lot of people. Um this is once you get to that stage, uh, they would also, you know, go after people's families. And, and the crazy thing is that they do have really detailed records of this stuff at those prisons and the torture execution centers, places like to all slang. They actually like just kept records on people. It's like at this hour we came in and talked to him about this. We told him this, you know, we said like, hey, it's, you know, have you heard about your wife or you know what about your kids you better tell us what we need to know and all this stuff um i watched a really short documentary um by the journalist john pilger uh, australian journalist it was like a tv special thing from back in 1979 called year zero you're going to Uh, for emotional impact it's it's powerful uh we we have more details in this episode than i think that the documentary had but i i thought it was it was really hard to hear people talking about the genocide and their experience in the prisons and and torture and things like that
0: i don't know if this is a stupid question but how did this happen like how how was it just that Pol Pot was so like firmly in power? There wasn't a way to get him out of it. Like, how did it break bad so badly?
1: Their enemy, you know, the previous regime, Lon Nol, had basically no support, and was held up by American aid and weapons, and their army crumbled and was destroyed by Pol Pot's army, and and. The communist army there, or the quote unquote communists, as we should call them, I guess, because of what, how they carry it out. They had been flooded. I mean, they, they had so much in terms of weapons. They are just an a incredibly formidable force in the country.
0: They're just the only game in town.
1: And they initially do some popular things you know, we don't like what they're doing in some respects in regards to like traditionalism and things like that. But like you said, there was that age old peasant versus city resentment that was kind of popular. You know, if you weren't the new people, that wasn't so bad. I mean, it does get bad. I mean, it's not great anyway, because you're, you know, lots of people are starving and stuff, but, um, there, there was an element and, later regimes kind of had to deal with this awkwardly there was an element of popularity behind it because of what they did for like the peasants and stuff
0: yeah so did the peasants see any improvements
1: it depended on where you were and
0: and if you weren't new
1: right and if you yeah what's your circumstances basically right if you had a lot of land before not so good if you didn't have any you know it could be better for you and you weren't new in any way (laughs)
0: yeah geez i mean this sounds like fascism again honestly like this that's how that shakes out is if you have vastly different experiences based on your life circumstances then yeah that's a fucking problem
1: in group out group so what this is is uh nazbol stuff what's that nazi plus bolshevik
0: oh i hate that hate that combo
1: That's it's just an internet ideology. No one is really that, but
0: hopefully not.
1: It's just something you see on such poisoned places as PCM. (laughs) Oh, if you were a new person, your healthcare facilities were downgraded. You didn't get to go to like hospitals. It's not that there were very many hospitals, but still, fuck. You got to do traditional herbal remedies and just you know whatever you can find religion um, you had the right to practice whatever religion unless it was like incorrect or bad for the country
0: <laughs> okay what does that mean
1: so they were kind of and anti- this is kind of weird because they, they were kind of anti- monk and like targeted like Buddhism which is the religion there like 85 percent of people they like defrocked monks and stuff and and Fuck you know, executed some of them and defaced things. They also went after like Catholics, Muslims, really anybody.
0: Yeah. They shouldn't like religion.
1: Yeah. Which I mean, that's another one where you probably should adapt it more to what people like. All right. Now we get to talk about why they are no longer around.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I'd love to get rid of these guys.
1: Yeah. Uh, obviously this caused a lot of pain and suffering for people. Yeah, uh, fuck well, these guys. They add a little sprinkle of foreign policy to this as well.
0: <laughs> Great. How does that go?
1: Well, they start antagonizing Vietnam some more.
0: Cool.
1: Remember that rivalry that's been brewing? Been setting it up all season long. <laughs> so for the finale, uh they start doing some border skirmishes basically. It's like some some they they just go like attack Vietnamese villages and like kill people there that's um, stupid because the whole time i mean they've been instigating this racial violence in their own country and everything and saying look at these people they're terrible they're working with the vietnamese why don't we go attack some of the vietnamese oh, so they start God. doing these border raids basically once vietnam has uh, you know gotten they've they've gotten the americans to leave by now they've conquered and reunited their country they have been rebuilding in a real painful way because of the international sanctions put on them by the U S and now they're just getting attacked by this dude. And they're like, what are you serious?
0: <laughs> Come on. We're kind of busy,
1: but it keeps happening. So they, they invade Vietnam okay. invades, uh, Cambodia, uh, to put a stop to the raids, but then also just to go ahead and oust the Khmer Rouge because they're really shitty. And I mean, you constantly throughout this, you have uh, Vietnamese, Cambodians, you know, coming over, fleeing refugees, coming over, and telling them like, "It's a fucking bloodbath," you know.
0: Wow. I mean, again, usually not pro invasion, but you know, that's fine. Let's let's get rid of these guys. They fucking suck.
1: There you go. So they so they invade, and they overthrow the democratic Cambodian government.
0: Yeah. Real quick, were they democratic at all? Not that it matters because they were so shitty, but while we're here.
1: Oh, elections and stuff? Yeah. It does say that they had elections, I guess. Secret ballot, direct general elections to okay. the Campuchian People's Representative Assembly.
0: I bet the new people couldn't vote.
1: New people could not vote. No, definitely not. They had 250 <laughs> members. 150 were reserved for representatives of the peasants. 50 for the laborers and other working people. And 50 for the army. Uh, they were elected for five-year terms with the first and only elections taking place on March 20th, 1976. You got <laughs> to right, last longer right. than that to get a second round. <laughs> you had 515 <laughs> candidates for the 250 seats. They were all from the National United Front of Kampuchea, So sort of like a block system like that. Voter voter turnout was reported to be
0: 98%. Cool. I mean, so what else are you doing?
1: Maybe not. Probably not. <laughs> I'm not going to claim that it was legitimate because <laughs> I don't really want to give these guys benefit of the doubt in most things.
0: Yeah, I got a feeling if you if you fucked up somehow, either by not voting or voting the wrong way, I think you'd be taking a trip to the killing fields. New
1: people. You, you, you We went from old to new.
0: <laughs> anyway, invasion time.
1: Whoa. Oh, they get, yeah, they get overthrown in two weeks.
0: Okay. Your place is really fucked up. If it doesn't, if it takes two weeks.
1: Yeah. Two weeks, blam. They're flattened. Uh, and the way this goes down is like um, a lot of former Khmer Rouge actually have been defecting over this time period. Good yeah basically they're like this is not what we we're supposed to be doing y'all like this is this is wrong this, sucks. This, this is not yeah not what i signed up for uh they're defecting uh to vietnam all right because i mean they've been comrades before they've been there for the whole str- struggle even though there's been this rivalry and they see them as like you know they they could potentially help out again
0: <laughs> yeah yeah like um, hey sorry that went so off the rails i'm
1: back <laughs> They form the Kampuchean United Front for National Salvation. It doesn't have a cool acronym. Oh, okay. But uh, <laughs> this is like former Khmer Rouge that have defected. Uh, and it's it's all Cambodians uh, in exile in Vietnam or having, having fled there. But that want to free their country, uh, basically. And so they're the ones who are like the head of... The Vietnamese operate like the the Vietnamese army is the one doing it, but these guys are, are who end up being the new regime that's put into place.
0: Is the reason it's so short because like you have these former people who are like, yeah, I know how to get in.
1: I don't know how much of the generaling they were doing. I think it was mostly that that Cambodia was in complete shambles at that point.
0: Okay, okay.
1: It's a cakewalk for them, and Vietnam's army was just way stronger than Cambodia's. At any point in time, they set up a new government there. The People's Republic of Campuchia. this is in 1979 Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge leadership uh, go into exile. Good. And they start up a guerrilla war against the new government.
0: Not good.
1: Yeah. Uh, they are not alone in that. They get help.
0: Oh, no. Who helps them?
1: So, for one, China helps them.
0: Okay, why?
1: The Khmer Rouge, this is where we said the Sino-Soviet split comes into play. So, the party got a lot of help in the early days from the Vietnamese, right? Uh Uh-huh. And the Vietnamese gradually, uh, they, they cooperate with China in regards to, like, the Vietnam War.
0: Mm -hmm. But
1: beyond that, they don't really like each other because the Vietnamese are more pro-Soviet. And uh, Cambodia has already been kind of playing the different sides of China, Vietnam. You know, they've done that before. Uh, And the leadership of the Khmer Rouge gradually, as their resentment to the junior partner role of Vietnam grows, they kind of start shifting more and more to be pro-Chinese.
0: Okay. God damn that Sino split.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's not, uh, sometimes people will characterize Pol Pot as a Maoist. Mm -hmm. I think that if you look at what he did slash the Khmer Rouge did in practice, while they did a little bit of talking about the peasants and stuff, their, their ideology was completely crappy. I don't know. Like they, they they just had all this bullshit in there and they had the racism in there. sorry they had orion's jingling collar in there <laughs> uh, they had everything man and and the whole old people new people thing
0: yeah it's bullshit
1: here's a lesson on the importance of ideology or theory because otherwise you come up with fucking stupid stuff
0: yeah so it's, it's an importance on intersectionality and solidarity too
1: yeah and so i don't i wouldn't call him a mouse uh, no. I wouldn't do that to my Maoist comrades, uh, <laughs> stick you with this guy, but they did have this more pro China alliance. All right. And this is in 1979, uh, 79 by which point, uh, China was under the leadership of Deng Xiaoping, you know, Mao oh, was gone. Yeah, yeah. And so now they were, I don't know if they had started quite yet, their reforms and stuff and opening up and all that, but they were on the way to it. You know, they were, they were changing.
0: They're about to do some bullshit.
1: Yeah. And even, you know, in the seventies, when Mao was like opening up to what well, was talking with establishing relations with the U S anyway, and seeing them as a counter to the Soviets because of that stupid Sino-Soviet split.
0: So it's not a good look. is the. It's point. not a
1: good look. No. And the, and the, <laughs> the Sino-Soviet split is so frustrating because it's, uh, cause mm. they we end should up
0: do a whole episode on it.
1: We really should because it's it's just a bizarre. Situation. It's one of those things,
0: like like the Spanish Civil War. It always fucking pops up and fucks things up.
1: Yeah, and and it just has all these wide ranging effects. But they, like, so the Khmer Rouge end up getting support from China, getting support from the United Kingdom.
0: They're, they're always the good guys,
1: right? Yeah, uh, they send <laughs> the SAS over to help train. To help train Khmer Rouge guerrillas. What is that?
0: uh, Is that like their CIA?
1: No, it's like their Navy SEALs, I guess.
0: Okay, so still bad.
1: Yeah. (laughs) They're the group that you play as in Call of Duty if you're on the British team. Like they're the Ah, essence.
0: Never had the pleasure.
1: (laughs) Really? (laughs) Seem like your kind of name.
0: Not my jam, surprisingly.
1: Uh, Margaret Thatcher, famously, when asked (laughs) about this.
0: Friend of the show.
1: Said, yeah well she had a
0: piss on her grave
1: typical response of there are also uh good and moderate khmer rouge
0: okay that's (laughs) fucking hilarious because like these are the people that conservatives hold up as like what communism is Mm -hmm. like that is their bad guy example i feel like not besides stalin like i feel like another common one i hear is like well it'll just turn into Pot. But when they're helping them, it's like, no, they're fine. No, it's
1: fine. Yeah, they're they're good. And he was, like, still alive and, like, doing this stuff with them. Pol Pot died. When did he die? 1998. Jeez. So they get help from China, from the UK. They also get help from the U.S.
0: My favorite. Yeah. My favorite country.
1: The U.S. encouraged uh, China to provide military support to the Khmer Rouge. They... Also provided arms. Uh, there's dispute on whether they provided arms or not, but like, I'm pretty sure that. Yeah, I'm
0: sure they did. That
1: they did that. Oh, Henry Kissinger, friend of the show.
0: <laughs> Piss on his grave when still it finally appears. Not
1: dead. Still not. I dead.
0: know. Oh my god. That's gonna be a good day, though. We're, we should get drunk on that day.
1: Uh, see, I mean, kind of. But again, it's a consolation prize. Unless someone shoots him, parody. Yeah. Don't do yeah. it. It's illegal yeah and even then it has to be like immolates him like you know has to like really go out badly for it to be worth it he trips
0: on a banana peel into a volcano made of shit
1: yeah like because otherwise
0: otherwise it's peaceful
1: yeah surrounded by loved i don't know if he can love but still surrounded (laughs) by people who claim to love him yeah uh anyway he told he told the foreign minister of thailand you should tell the Cambodians that we will be friends with them, meaning uh, the Khmer Rouge like regime at that time. You should tell them we will be friends with them. They are murderous thugs, but we won't let that stand in our way.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, but so are we. So it's fine. Yeah. Same. I think we have a lot in common, actually.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. So, I mean, there's, there's this record of, of just tacit support. But there's also probably, you know, covert military support that also went in and arms deals surprised. and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. In addition to to that, um, which China also, to you know, they were we said they were supporting them with arms. They also invaded Vietnam like in a punitive invasion for this. They were just like, you guys, how dare you do that? They just invaded them real quick. It okay. was like a month. Um, of invasion, and it just went right back to where, well, basically because it got bogged down. Uh, the Vietnamese army fought them off to a standstill, and they didn't want to put that much more into it, so they backed out.
0: Good, jeez.
1: Yeah, but they basically did that to punish them for for invading Cambodia. Well, for liberating Cambodia from Pol Pot. Another way that the that these powers helped the Khmer Rouge versus the New People's Republic of Kampuchea was to keep the People's Republic out of the U.N. So, for a long time, it's until 1993 that the Khmer Rouge government, which had been kicked out, is in exile, forms the Coalition Government of Democratic Kampuchea, which, by the way, teamed up with our old pal Sihanouk. Mm. And they said, oh, Sianuk, go up to the U.N., man, and and, and vouch for us and tell them that we're good.
0: Whoa, wait, wait, wait. was teaming up with?
1: The Khmer Rouge.
0: Oh, my God. Again. Like, yeah, I guess he did do that before.
1: Oh, yeah. Do you okay. know what happened to him? I, I left this out earlier. Uh,
0: yeah, what did he do while they were in power?
1: Right. When they're in power, he's 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 there for like a year before he resigns because basically he finds out about all of what they're doing. Uh, and it's too much for him. He resigns yeah. and they put him under house arrest.
0: Mm, okay. Weird that they killed all those like regular ass people, but decided to keep the former king alive.
1: Well, to be fair, this is that cultural thing again. Um the that the gov the
0: The popular king.
1: Yeah, the general Lon Null from before. When he did the coup, it was like the next day or the day of, I don't know, it was very soon that he went to like the Queen Mother And begged her forgiveness for doing a coup against your son. (laughs)
0: I'm so sorry I did a coup. That was a total accident. My bad. (laughs) I burst into the room with a gun. I fell into the room. I don't even know how I got the gun (laughs) in my hands. And then I sneezed and it sounded a lot like, I'm here to take over. (laughs) (laughs) And it worked. I didn't even mean to. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, no taxis-paxis.
1: So that was what happened to him, but... (laughs) After he teams up with these guys, takes power, and they end up putting on a house arrest. Then when they're in exile, he goes back to them and is like, Oh yeah, let's work together, let's get <laughs> get this thing back from the Vietnamese.
0: Okay, sorry. Can you just give me the timeline of when uh Vietnam invaded versus this asking for recognition from the UN thing?
1: Okay, so that was immediate. Uh oh, okay. uh nineteen seventy nine is when they set up the People's Republic of Kampuchea, And then there's the dispute. Are they gonna be the UN seat? Or is it going to be the old Khmer ah, Rouge yeah. government where they've formed a coalition with freaking Sihanouk, the coalition government or whatever. And the U.S. and China uh, both said, no, it's not going to be the People's Republic. We're going to keep the Pol Pot regime plus Sihanouk. We're going to give them the U.N. seat. Anuk, for his to his credit, does get out of this partnership pretty quickly. So he he does vouch for him. He's like, oh, yeah, you know, like, we should be the real government. But then he's like, oh, never mind. Like, you guys are. (laughs) Actually, they suck. Yeah. Um, It's not too much to his credit because the damage was done. But, yeah, they are, in terms of international recognition, uh, the People's Republic of Camp is, like, fucked, like, from day one in terms of that. Like, they're getting aid from Vietnam, despite, at this time, Vietnam going through its own shit.
0: Yeah, for real.
1: They are both on the wrong end of international sanctions, embargoes. Yeah. You know?
0: Oh my god.
1: For a while Vietnam's able to help Campuchia sustain it, uh and militarily occupy it. They're they're able to support that for a while, but with the decline and fall of the Soviet Union, as that starts happening, Vietnam has to start doing reforms within itself basically because they're losing money because the Soviets were giving them aid a little chain of aid so as that dried up because the Soviets were like hey we're pulling out of everything we're not doing as much foreign aid to people that really cut Vietnam's bottom line so they had to do their doi moi reforms of opening up and you know doing more capitalism basically Um, and with that they were like hey we've got to cut the military a lot in terms of this big huge costly occupation so yeah they retreated from cambodia that was in the 80s and it's kind of a weird time so like late 80s 1989 they changed the name of the people's republic of kampuchea to the state of cambodia and this is when they make the transition from a one-party marxist leninist state which is what you had people's republic of kampuchea being oh i didn't know that yeah so that was that was the one that vietnam set up and they, I mean, they just set it up like Vietnam.
0: Like theirs. They're like, do you want to do this one? <laughs> we have this government. Do you want it? So
1: it's a socialist government. I mean, they're, they're doing things right. They're trying to rebuild, basically. Um, they have the support of Vietnam, the Soviet Union, the Eastern European socialist countries, too.
0: Were they decently popular in in Campuchia? Like, amongst the people? Because these other Rouge were, like, a little bit weirdly popular
1: yeah that's one of the things is that um it it was it depended on who you were again. you know if you're a minority freed from ethnic cleansing, yeah, you're pretty popular.
0: I'm a fan,
1: <laughs> but one of the things that they didn't like to discuss, you know, they get asked by it by the press sometimes is is about like the former regime, the Khmer Rouge's popularity among the peasantry in particular. Mm. And they were just like, mm, change the subject, please. Let's not talk about that.
0: <laughs> no, no, no.
1: You know, they came, I mean, they kept having to fight this guerrilla force. See, the Khmer Rouge rebels and stuff, they would set up. Now they were setting up on the Thailand border because Thailand let them set up uh, stuff like that because it was essentially a U.S. puppet.
0: I was going to say, yeah, I'm pretty sure they were bad guys at that point.
1: Yeah. And so they were just basically doing cross-border raids and stuff to attack the government. And the... And, and the government there was like setting up all these defenses it was this whole big thing the point is it was super expensive and they they basically had to transition out of that uh as the soviet union as their sugar daddy uh (laughs) collapsed
0: pouring out for our sugar daddy yeah still waiting on that gold moscow come on (laughs) i will accept it in fancy jewelry
1: yeah i've been giving them a bar here a bar there to get by but <laughs> I can't. I can't need... keep us both afloat forever.
0: For real, for real, These web hosting fees don't pay themselves. They don't call
1: us champagne socialists for nothing.
0: <laughs> I do like a good brute.
1: <laughs> uh, so yeah, they start transitioning away from that toward the restoration of capitalism. This is there. There are very complex things that goes and in, go into this, but I'm just treating this very broad strokes because it's like the aftermath just to let you know what happens in Cambodia afterward. There's a period from 1992 to 1993 where they are directly administered by the UN uh, to basically to oversee like elections and stuff uh, to set up the new government. Because what they end up doing in 1993 is resetting up the kingdom of Cambodia
0: okay okay there it is i was wondering i'm like well considering who their un representatives were and like all those dealings it's not going to be a socialist one
1: so yeah they set the monarchy back up and after all that has gone down it's a constitutional monarchy but it still has a monarchy and mm-hmm. si'anuk was king
0: oh my <laughs> god he's back this fucker just won't give up
1: <laughs> yeah uh so they ha- they set up an elective monarchy.
0: Yeah, well, how does that work?
1: So it's like the government, I think. or They actually have a council. It's of like some- the government. They, well, they have a council of some government leaders or whatever that are the electors of the monarchy. So you don't go vote. Oh, let, <laughs> you don't vote for a king. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, his, his, Sianuk's son is actually their current king.
0: Oh, fuck. Okay, so still going strong.
1: Yeah, Sianuk... Passed in 2012.
0: That's very recent.
1: But the current king, Norodom Sihamoni, that's his son.
0: That's crazy.
1: Yeah, but like I said, it is constitutional. So they do have a parliament that actually runs things. It is run by the Cambodian People's Party, uh, which is uh, kind of an interesting side note, I guess, because when they set up the People's Republic of Kampuchea, the Vietnamese you know, the, the one that they helped liberate them and set up, right. The Cambodian people's party is descended from the Kampuchean people's revolutionary party. This was okay. Complicated history, but like it was back at the top of the show uh, was the original uh, spinoff of the Indo-Chinese communist party.
0: Okay. Okay. So they've got those roots. Now yeah. are they actually communist socialists? Like what's their, what's their deal?
1: that went in two directions. So once it split off from Indochinese communist party, some of it became communist party of Campuchia. That was the main thing, right? That just, that's that. And that became Khmer Rouge, all that. But this one is like, it's not, it's, it's not split so much as a reboot. This harkens back to that, but it is, uh, the party made up of like former Khmer Rouge members that, um, had fled to Vietnam.
0: Yeah. They're like, Hey, fuck this. Yeah.
1: So that's, that's those guys, and they're the ruling party of the dominant party of the People's Republic of Kampuchea, the Vietnamese setup. So they, by this point, uh, once they're in the Kingdom of Cambodia, and even before in the state of Cambodia and stuff, once they switch over to being Cambodian People's Party and everything, along the way, they abandon Marxist-Leninist ideology altogether. In nineteen ninety-one, they officially dropped their commitment to socialism in general.
0: (laughs) I mean, you got a King, so
1: (laughs) yeah, uh, this is, this is a wild one on Wikipedia. It describes their ideology. 1951 to 1991, communism, Marxism, Leninism since 1991, conservatism, national conservatism and economic liberalism.
0: Okay. No, (laughs) it's a wild turn.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So they're not the same anymore, it's uh, yeah,
0: just same name, different party,
1: yeah, but that's uh essentially what I've got for the history of Cambodia, like i said there's there's tons more, but I w- really wanted to focus in mostly on the Khmer Rouge stuff, mostly on the democratic Kampuchea stuff the the causes, the effects, all that
0: that's fucking rough, and this guy gets a negative rating, I mean, it would be easier to count things he didn't fuck up than things he then strikes, you know? So fuck that guy. Fuck all that. Um, I will not claim him as a communist.
1: I think he's a bad communist. Like obviously, well, but he just, the fundamentals too of like class conflict. That's, you know, I, I hate that he did the racism stuff too. That's really bad. But as far as an analyzing someone's economy, you can be a racist. It makes you a bad communist, but you, you know, if you, basically have a class analysis but also you're a racist like you just suck but like you're a communist
0: i don't know if that's true because i think and maybe this is like a newer definition of communist but like based on what i've learned over the course of doing this show i would say we have seen time and time again that racism is inherently linked to capitalism and a great way to start sussing out who is not isn't on your side is to point out the racists. I mean, I mean, that's, I think to me, like, this reeks more of fascism than communism. I think this is, you know, I think we know the importance of solidarity and we know the importance of and how race plays into class tensions. So, I mean, in my definition of communist, I don't think you can be racist and commun- maybe personally prejudiced and like, yeah, you've oh, got to like on yeah. your shit.
1: Like you just have but to I don't grow. think you
0: can inf- enforce racist policies and be a good communist or a communist, really.
1: That's a good point. I think you're right that a little class reductionist to just say it's all about your class analysis. You got to also be with the overall struggle.
0: I mean, yeah, I'd say the same thing about women too and and gender politics i mean if you look at if you want to go at it from a theory perspective like yeah it's in the text but also like overall we know that those are tendencies that belong with fascism and conservatism and capitalism and they don't belong communism you're limiting your workforce you are um you know advocating for the nuclear family like all things that we don't want to do
1: (laughs) yeah and to tie it back in i guess you know, it does come to that question of which side are you on? Exactly. Are you with the oppressed people of the world or are you with the oppressors?
0: He's doing a lot of oppressing and not of the cool, you know, the cool landlord depressing that we like.
1: And that's, yeah, that's where you tie it in and that's where you're wrong to say that you can be a communist but just add in some racist Yeah, you're right. That Thanks. You can't do that. You have to be on the si- on the right side. Like, right, what what good does it do you to understand the theory
0: <laughs> to have all the right
1: ideas. To be like, oh, I I know all about the labor theory of value and whatnot. And, you know, you do everything good on that side. But if you're not really actually, like, fighting for the for the downtrodden, uh, are, then are you a communist? And the answer is no, I guess. Right?
0: I don't think you can be. I, I am going to kick him out of the club. His membership card has been revoked. Dang. It is no longer valid.
1: Turn in your black uh, tunic. Turn in mm-hmm. your t- your tire sandals and your red scarf.
0: Any books that you checked out from the Communist Book Club, please return those.
1: We demand our young pioneers pin back.
0: Yeah, you don't get the pin. You don't get the gold bar, that's for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. That's, I, I like that as a note to end on.
0: All right. Cancel them. Throw out the whole man.
1: The entire pole pot.
0: Yes. Dump out that pot. Next week, we are talking about eco-communism and how it can sometimes turn into eco-fascism, I guess. Uh, Not necessarily, but uh, just the relationship between various ecological movements and, like, what's a good way to approach them and what's a not-so-good way to approach them.
1: Mmm, excellent.
0: All right, join us next time.
1: On Dragon Ball Z.
0: (laughs) <laughs> we're gonna keep yelling and we're gonna keep charging our kamehamehas it's gonna be great
1: <laughs> alright catch you later
0: alright bye bye hey there comrades just jumping in to remind you of all of our social media we are on twitter at teach communism instagram at teach me communism you can shoot us an email that's teach communism at gmail.com any of those places are good to send us an episode suggestion or a question Anything you think would be useful feedback for us or just your admiration. If you want to admire us in a public manner, and you should, you can go to Apple Podcasts to give us a review. It is the best way to help people find the show. Love when people write and review us. Please do both. We are also on YouTube if that's how you prefer to listen to podcasts. Or if you know someone that's the only way they'll listen to podcasts, send them to our page. And we have a Patreon for five bucks a month. You get access to our notes for each week's episode including the backlog of notes which is a very handy resource for up-and-coming commies and at the end of the year all of the funds from patreon will be given to local mutual aid in the dfw area so ain't gonna line our pockets finally we have merch check us out at t public you can find shirts and i believe also stickers and magnets and all kinds of fun stuff with catchphrases from the show or episode art, stuff like that. The link to that store is in the show notes, so check that out. Okay, that's all the internet. Join us next time for another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Bye, y'all.